Welcome to the Happy Pair Podcast, where our ultimate goal is to inspire, educate, and awaken your curiosity, and overall, to help you to become healthier and happier. We're Dave and Steve, identical twins who started a veg shop nearly 20 years ago. Since then, it's expanded into a social following of over one and a half million people, nearly 50 million views of our videos, nearly half a million books sold, cafes, farms, apps, courses, food products to help you to eat more veg. We speak to thought leaders, health experts, trailblazers and specialists of all kinds, from the ones you know to those you've never, ever heard of. Today's episode is sponsored by Instant Air Fryers. It's my favourite kitchen appliance and people think air fryers are just for making chips. I made lasagna in it last night. I make granola in it. I make bread in it. It is so practical for all the family. It uses 80% less energy and 95% less oil than deep fat frying. We always say the more you can make the healthy choice, the easy choice, the more sustainable health is. And that's why instant air fryers are magnificent. Link in show notes to find the perfect model for you. That's instant air fryers. Today's guest is Sarah Oakwell-Smith. She's a parenting expert that's written 13 books on the topic, including Gentle Parenting, Gentle Discipline and Gentle Sleep. She sold nearly more than half a million copies of her books. She's a psychologist, has, is in the process of raising four children and is incredibly succinct and experienced in this field. Three things you're definitely going to get from listening to this show is number one, she says now is the hardest time ever to be a parent. This is very interesting. This we talk about parenting throughout the ages and how it's changed and yet still fundamentally flawed. And why our parenting directly impacts adults' mental development and how, how your mental health is right now was directly impacted from how you were parented. Even if you're not a parent and you're not going to be a parent during your life, you have been parented. So there's so much in this podcast for everyone. Without further ado, we give you the wonderful Sarah Oakwell-Smith. Fabulous, your wonder. I love your authenticity, your honesty, and just your damn right soundness. Thank you. Good opener, Steve. I like that. Well, I, I mean it. I really, I've really enjoyed listening to you and just reading up on your stuff. I think it's so current, so relevant, and so needed. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay, okay. The one thing I want to jump right in here with. Um, so we were we were born in 1979. So we're 43. We were the la- like December 79. And I'm just, we were chatting there about the evolution of parenting over the decades because it's gone from like, you know, our parents were wonderful and they did an amazing job. And I often think that like um, some methods of parenting in the past have been more like the way you train a dog, you know, with Mm -hmm. with rewards and biscuits and, uh, you know, and and that type of thing. Or there's the Victorian era where children are seen, not heard. And it was very, you know, leave the child to cry itself to sleep and feed it every four hours. And And, and there's still, and there's still uh, tentacles of that or tentacles of that existing. And then there is, you know, there's attachment parenting and there's gentle parenting, which is your kind of philosophy, which I think is wonderful. And I just wondered where over the last kind of the evolution over the last 30 years and then, because we're obviously going to have some of the old and we're going to have the new and we're going to have different houses of thoughts and whatnot. Yeah, so I literally am just writing a book about this at the moment, actually. But it goes back, I think, to two things, like the Industrial Revolution, where we wanted people to work more, and there was a little bit of a push on women to work. And if you look at sort of historically, the more we want women to work, the more we are endorsing slightly detached parenting, because we need women to get back into the workplace as quickly as possible and not raise children. So there was a real shift around the Industrial Revolution. And then you've got people like um, John Watson, who is probably who you're talking about, sort of akin to dog training. And he was he very much believed that we, when we were born, we were a blank slate. And everything that we experienced, we learned from mostly our parents. So he believed that we learned to fear. And he also believed that the way that we raised babies with love and nurturance and touch 
kind of created problematic children that he saw separation anxiety and toddlers needing hugs and stuff to go to sleep is really problematic. So he kind of endorsed actually what he wanted to do was to take children away from their parents and bring them up in a home so that they grow without the problems of having their parents love. And he very much advised don't pick them up too much. Don't feed them overnight. Don't play with them. Um, He advised you put like a fenced off an area in your backyard in your garden and you left your baby out there and you dug holes so it would fall down the hole and hurt itself and that's he but how we believe they learned to be resilient Jeez, and when did he when was he in in so vogue? he involved um like 120 or years ago okay yeah wow. so he's yeah, so a long time ago but then, then his work you'd think so wouldn't you we really haven't. So there have been more people that have said similar things since you've got um, something called Luther Emmett Holt. Um, you've got Truby King over in New Zealand, and they all picked up on similar ideas. It started to change around the sort of First and Second World Wars with a chap called John Bowlby, who, when you mentioned attachment, he started to see actually when we separate children from their parents, when they're in hospital, or when we send them off somewhere safe, they struggle with the separation. And we spoke about attachment and love and nurturance for a little while until um, the era of Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. And I know you guys are right in Ireland and I'm not big on Irish politics, but that, yeah, that's a similar era and I'm sure you have yeah, the same. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, and we very much focused on profits before people and getting everybody back to work. So it's what I said again about getting those women back to work, putting children into childcare as soon as possible. And we, everything was kind of sold off. So um, it's not something I'm called, um, that's called neoliberalism. So the idea of the politics that we have at the moment is everything is a commodity, everything has a price. And the way that we reduce the expenditure for the government is privatizing everything, but privatizing it without boundaries, um, which it's good if you want to make a lot of money, but not so good if you want to care for people because caring is not really valued and it's not really worth anything. So what we see now because of neoliberalism and the work of people like Watson, the people who came with him, is we are absolutely still giving the same advice we gave 120 years ago. So if you think about when you're told to sleep train, you're told don't pick them up too much, don't make bad habits, don't make them need you, make them self-settle. But then our instincts are screaming at us, but my baby's crying. Surely I need to pick them up and cuddle them and reassure them. So then we don't question the advice. We question what's wrong with us. We think, I suck at parenting. I'm not not made for doing this. I'm not good enough. I'm not um, firm enough. For... I'm not stern enough. And, you know. You know, and I, you know, I thought the same thing myself when I was like, I'm not strong enough to teach my child to self-soothe because I can't cope when he cries. I just want to pick him up. And I never stopped to question... Maybe this advice is wrong. I just thought I was wrong. I was useless. And yeah. even with things like um, the way we discipline children, we send them to time out when they have a problem. What we're doing there is repeating what Watson said 120 odd years ago, saying, you know, teach the child that when they have these strong emotions that we don't want them near us, we send them away until they're calm and quiet and we accept them again. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like, you don't do so, that anymore, but we do. It's uh, like, I think you touched on so many important topics there. One, like, women being encouraged to go work or even men, if their men are the primary caregiver, like back to yeah. work at the expense of attachment parenting. Because ultimately attachment parenting is probably the oldest parenting technique of all prior to industrial revolution. It was the main race with which the main way with which our children were raised. 
in that they were. Well, if you forget naming anything, <clears throat> we're mammals, you know, yeah, exactly. we would grow our offspring like any other mammal. If you have a dog that has puppies or a cat with kittens, they are constantly co-sleeping. They sleep yeah. with them. They spend their whole time attached to them. We're no different. Mm. Yeah, 100%. And, and how does it like, because it seems like that's the tangent now, because when I look at society nowadays, you know, even even in the last 20 years, like, you know, we're 43, as I said. And I've seen like mom raised us, mom stayed at home and that was completely normal. That was, that was across Ireland. Whereas now with our kids, you know, and with our generation, people need to, both parents need to work because the cost of living and the yeah, demands and everything. Just, yeah. And I'm just wondering how do these two worlds collide? Because we live within capitalism. You know, we all, most of us are on social media and you've got these ideas that you need. We all have these desires of things and stuff which require capitalism. I'm wondering where does this, how do these worlds conflict between attachment parenting of co-sleeping and minding them and nurturing and adoring them and then also having to work and, and having six months off or nine months off or a year off. But they conflict hugely, don't they? And, you know, I'm not about all mums staying at home. What I'm about is choice. And we don't have that choice anymore because we can't afford the choice. And then if you look at like the childcare debate we've been having in the UK at the moment in England, and last week we were told we would get funded childcare but that was really just like a, a thinly veiled disguise to get everybody who is economically inactive, as they called it, back out to work by supposedly funding. But if you look at the funding, it's grossly, grossly underfunded. So for instance, a place that would cost about £8.50 an hour to run, the government are only giving like £4.50 an hour. So while people were celebrating and saying, you know, this is great, there's more funded childcare, what we don't realise is that actually it's putting children at risk. They've increased the ratios. So you can now have um, five children to one carer versus four to one. And similarly, more nurses are going to struggle to provide stuff, you know, the, the enrichment that they would ordinarily provide because they need the money to stay open. And it's always the children that lose because, you know, they will maybe end up in substandard care or they will end up with um, more children to one carer in the same way that, as parents, we can't survive in our society as it is because it's so unsupportive of parents and children. You know, it doesn't support us if we want to go back to work, but it also doesn't want to support us if we stay at home. So what you end up with is desperate, shattered, exhausted, tired, tired parents who have to sleep train babies and toddlers who actually don't have a sleep problem. They sleep like babies and toddlers, um, which is badly. They don't sleep like us for so many reasons. But they get sleep trained because we can't cope with it because we're burning the candle at both ends, trying to pay the rent and the mortgage and working and caring for our children. So again, you know, they get their needs not quite met at night in order that we can survive. Um, and then the same if you look at the schooling system, you know, our education system is not set up for the needs of children. So the discipline that we have to use on them again doesn't meet their needs. But you've got these exhausted teachers and underfunding and staff recruitment issues and it's always the children who lose out we have we are so much more harsh and authoritarian because we as families are unsupported by our governments and we can't parent in an instinctive way or a mammalian way anymore yeah it's not encouraged and, as you said it's totally not encouraged yeah. it's something like even myself when we had our first child our daughter may i remember we were reading a book by this lady tracy hogg and I remember it was it was kind of that middle ground between sleep training. And I remember doing it. And I think we managed a night. I don't think we even got through the night because it just felt like yeah. my inside is crying. I'm just, I feel like this is wrong. And yet 
it, 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 I found it really hard to trust my instinct. So it's, it's yeah. as you said. But it's, your instinct it's, is obviously right. Yeah, but it was just, my God, it's it's so challenging. And then like, it just, just even like to pair it back a bit, like so attachment parenting, for anyone listening or attachment parenting or gentle parenting, what are the kind of principles of this? Because I think this is so relevant to everyone, whether you're a parent or not. It's just, it's almost like a philosophy towards life. It's like a paradigm shift. Because ultimately when you look at it as a society, if we don't become better parents and nurturing our kids, the price is paid at a societal level at some stage. Absolutely. You know, everything hinges on childhood. We can't talk about mental health in adults unless we talk about parenting in the early years. They're completely interlinked. And I think, yeah, it's something we need to come back to more. But ultimately, I really hate labeling parenting styles. So for me, parenting would be that natural, instinctive, responsive way that any other mammal would parent. But unfortunately, probably around about 50 years ago, we started labeling different styles. So attachment parenting is the work of the American pediatrician um, William Sears. And he talks about lots of words beginning with B. So he talks about things like bed sharing, breastfeeding, can't remember, remember any others off the top of my head, but it's all very much focused on keeping the physical attachment and the psychological attachment with the mostly babies attachment parenting talks about. Um, I talk about something called gentle parenting, which I could give you a long technical explanation, but for me, it really is just treating kids in the way that you would like to have been treated as a child. So Beautiful. it's having respect for them, knowing that respect for that, not demanded, understanding how they feel, having empathy with that, and understanding actually what normal development looks like. Because so many of the issues we have as a parent is because we don't understand child development and what we think our problems actually aren't. I think that's a huge one. You hit the nail on the head there with understanding the development because the expectations, you know, everyone talks about the, the tantrums of two-year-olds. and Oh, and what's wrong with my kid? It's a yeah. two-year-old tantrum. And... You know, you think when you think about it. How do I make my two-year-old not act like a two-year-old? Yeah, yeah. Or how do I? Or even that expression. Oh, I slept like a baby. And you go, no, you didn't. Babies don't sleep. You slept like a rock because rocks don't wake up. You know, I hate that expression. When people say it almost like gets my back up. But it's this societal idea, this idea that children are developing and they go to bed. Whereas children, everyone's different. And at every age we get things wrong. You know, I am a parent to teenagers and young adults. And I'm quite passionate about that age range because I think it's the age we get the most wrong. Because the trouble is at that age, they look like us. They're taller than us. They've got hair, they've got deep voices and acne. And and we start expecting them to behave like adults, but actually their brains are more like toddlers. So they get punished. <laughs> Just for being a teenager at the time when they're full of angst about who they want to be in the world. And it's just at every age. And I think it's really it's because we got that treatment as a child ourselves. It's something called childism. So it's that when the discrimination of society against children, we're expecting them to behave at every stage like an adult and do things like an adult. But we don't recognize that childhood is its own unique period with its own unique needs. Yeah, um, I love it. It's all a big mess. You took a segue no, there and you mentioned punishment. Oh, that's what I was going to go for. Brilliant. Because because I think that is something that when I think of ourselves as, you know, like it, it seems that it just gets passed down the line. Like parenting is, it's a bit like, uh-huh. you know, if you do this, culture, I will believe, give you this. But, but it kind of gets passed down. Like, uh, you know, and we try to do it better with each generation. And it seems to be difficult to unravel it, you know, to be very conscious and not go with the so conditioned the dog with what we training method. So, so how do you, how, with, the, with the very conscious, gentle parenting method, how do you manage, and I, I don't know if discipline Rewarding is the word, behaviour, how do you manage encouraging yeah. behaviours and discouraging other behaviours? 
or punishment okay. and what traditionally would have been called punishment and reward probably is that pretty yeah, traditional means carrots and sticks yeah, carrots yeah, yeah, and yeah. sticks how do we move beyond that you know bribe or hurt yeah. um she said it's really hard because we've had years of conditioning and i use the phrase i open my mouth and my mother came out like and when i'm stressed with my kids the words that my mother said to me 40 years ago come out and that's Another really hard as parents to try to be conscious with what we do but i think this is kind of like the real crux of gentle parenting it's understanding that child development and trying to see where your child comes from so the problem with punishment so let's say you've got a two and a half year old who's having a tantrum because you won't give them a blue cup instead of a red cup so ordinarily people would say they're being stubborn they're being naughty you know you need to show them who's boss there needs to be a consequence for their action they need to learn they can't have everything they want so commonly there you would be told to put them on the naughty step i think you guys call it the bold step or put them in time out or something like that or take something away or sometimes actually hit them you know we think people don't smack and hit in our society but they really do about one in three parents still use that um but the trouble is when you punish a child you don't resolve their problem so you punish them for having a problem without doing anything to work out what that problem is or to help them to solve it which when you think discipline comes from the latin word disea which means to teach or disciplina which is to teach um teaching but you don't really teach a child anything if you punish them apart from when you have big feelings or when you're unregulated i don't want to be around you i don't want to hear that i don't like it when you're like this so i'm going to push you away from me or ignore you all or punish you but then what happens is because you've not taught them how to behave better is they keep doing it and you end up having to give bigger and bigger punishments um yelling more and more and then you end up with everybody being really dysregulated and you've still not resolved the problem so the idea with gentle parenting is we say okay right two and a half year olds really don't lack good emotion regulation skills or impulse control they're probably doing the best they can at the moment and also right now they're feeling kind of really really stressed and anxious and dysregulated i need to understand how they're feeling and try and teach them how to be better and try to help them to calm down so it doesn't mean that you don't stop them doing dangerous things like if they were about to run into a road or hurt a baby sibling i would get hold of them and say no stop well a lot of people think with gentle parenting there's no discipline and kids can do what they want so it's what i call safety first so you stop them doing the dangerous thing you stop them hurting people at that point they might cry a little bit because you scared them but then it's for you as an adult to take a deep breath metaphorically and think okay i'm the adult here what do they need how are they feeling can they behave better and what do i need to do to resolve things and you come back to that teaching mindset and how do we learn best so we learn best when we understand the capabilities and needs of our pupils and we also learn best when we're inspiring and when we model that behavior ourselves so i think maybe the hardest thing of gentle parenting is it all comes back to us as adults that you are not going to raise kind calm gentle respectful children if you yell at them and punish them all the time you have to be kind calm respectful towards them it, it's really hard in everything we spoke about in a world today that doesn't support parents when we're shattered and when our conditioning is trying to repeat what happened to us 20 30 40 50 years ago it's trying to take a break 
put a um, pause in the call it put a pause between their action and your reaction and to think okay how am I going to deal with this I'm going to stop the danger first of all I'm going to take a breath and model who I want to be and then we're going to work this problem out together and I think that's just it's just not what happens if you think back to when you're at school and you had a difficult child in your class that difficult child was probably always excluded always in detention always in isolation or something like that because these Punishing doesn't work. It doesn't solve any problem. What it actually does in the long term is make the child have low self-esteem and they grow up to an adult with all sorts of issues. And it also means that when they're older, they don't come to you when they've got problems or they make mistakes. So as I mentioned, you know, I have four teens and young adults who I have raised to know, doesn't matter what you do, I'll always help you. You can always come to me and I'll always try to help. And my nearly 21-year-old said to me a couple of months ago, Mum, it's really weird. My friends, when they're struggling, because it's uni, when they're struggling with their work and they, they're like they're really not coping very well, I don't understand why they don't talk to their parents. Wow. You know, I talk to you. I know I can ask you to help and it really helps me, but it's really weird they don't talk to their parents. And you think, yeah, because their parents spent 5, 10, 15 years saying, when you've got this difficulty... You go away from me. I punish you when you're calm, and then when you don't have problems anymore, you can come back to me. Well, it takes a lot of um, emotion. It takes a lot of emotional intelligence and awareness to kind of untrain <laughs> these habits because it's instinctive. Children, it's so instinctive. It really and is. I love that expression that you said. Is when I open my mouth, my mother's voice comes mm-hmm. out because I've done that a number of times, and I'm like, oh my god, did that come out? Are you Whoa. saying you swore you'd never say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Like it's so. Like what you said is so like on the money for me. It's so true. It's so, and it's so hard. Uh, and, and oh, the- God, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and it always makes me laugh when people say gentle parenting is lazy, permissive. I'm like, you've got no idea how much work is involved. It's the opposite of lazy. But it comes back to, I think, sometimes people say it's quite toxic. You know, it's too stressful. You can't be perfect. But actually... It's really important that you're not perfect. It's really important that you do screw up and mess up and get things wrong as a parent. Because if you got things right, if you were like this uber super zen parent, you never messed up, it would be quite terrifying for your children. You know, if you've got like the equivalent of Gandalf or yoga as a, a mentor, <laughs> you're like, you know, can't be like that. That's unachievable. But the other thing is when we screw up, so like when we accidentally yell or our mothers come out or we punish and we're like, oh, we shouldn't have done that. We do this thing that psychologists call rupture and repair. So I call it holler and heal because my default mode when I'm stressed is to scream at my kids. But when, when we mess up, when we screw up, when we accidentally punish or yell or whatever, before we have the chance to kind of be the adult and calm down, it's really good because it gives us a chance to apologize to our children. And most of us as children were never apologized to by our parents. And, and it's so powerful to say to your child, I'm sorry, I overreacted. I shouldn't have said we're canceling a birthday party. I shouldn't have taken that away from you. You know, I'm really stressed. What you did was wrong. But my reaction was also wrong and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for yelling. I'm sorry for overreacting. You know, can we make up? Can we repair the rupture? Whether that's a, let's go watch a movie together, let's go to the park, let's have a hug. But it teaches children what to do when they mess up and they wouldn't learn that skill if we didn't screw up. Yeah, it's so, amazing. you know, for me, I try and say, try and be the best parent you can be for about 70% of the time. 
and for the remaining 30% be good enough. By There's the work of a chap called Donald Winnicott, who spoke after the Second World War, and he focused on what he called the good enough mother, but it absolutely applies to fathers too. It's not about being perfect, because perfect is scary and unreal. It's about being good enough, and it's about making up and repairing what damage you've caused when you do mess up, and I think that's much more achievable. Yeah, because perfection is like the enemy. Uh, what, what I was thinking of is there's so there's an eighty twenty rule as, as you said seventy thirty there, but the old eighty yeah, twenty. Yeah, I can lower it a bit. Yeah, yeah, mate, <laughs> I can lower expectations. Well, I'm I'm more thinking of okay, so in an ideal world, if you could wave wave a magic wand and go right, okay, for anyone out there who's having it, going to be a new parent, and you kind of go, well, really? what would be what would be the kind of the core things? Like, would it be co sleeping? <laughs> would it be uh, as in having your baby attached to you all the time? Would it be gentle patient emotional you know the opposite of behavior like what would what would what would really good look like for the for the longevity of the human's development and mental health for the benefit of everyone at large we have to accept there are no magic ones i think that would be the starting point so yeah (laughs) realistic expectations would be my number one so try to learn what your child is capable of doing, what their brain is doing at any one point, what their sleep is doing, you know, what, what their eating looks like, what their behavior looks like, so that your expectations of your child's behavior are realistic. Because in our society today, it's not. And if we have realistic expectations, we realize that so many of the things we think are problematic are normal childhood behavior. So that's point one, realistic expectations. Number two is try to understand what you bring to the table. Um, realize that all of us are a little bit messed up from our own childhoods. I'm not saying that's a really bad thing, but we can learn from it. So realizing, I always say, why do I feel the need to discipline this? Is it because it matters to me or is it because I would have been disciplined for the same thing as a child? And realizing, actually, I don't have to have that same rule that my parents have and it's okay for me to start afresh. Um, And alongside that, to really kind of understand and honor your own needs. So I don't talk about self-care because I hate the term self-care with a passion. I talk about something called self-kindness, which is just understanding actually, this is really hard because it is hard. You know, I'm a so-called expert and I mess up all the time. So lower the expectations of yourself as well as your child. And then the last thing I'd say is we have instincts for a reason, listen to them. I think parents would be a whole heap better off if there was no parenting advice. And I know that sounds ironic because mm. I give parenting advice, but I genuinely believe if we had never had a parenting expert or parenting books or anything else, we'd all be in a lot better place. I love your... So really, if you're conflicted about something, forget what the experts or the books say, just think, what does my heart say? Totally agree. with that. Totally agree with wrong. them. And then what about actual tactics? You know, like I, I agree with all those principles. I really do. But I'd go, yeah. like, what would be, and we're going to take away the, the magic wand metaphor, and we're going to go, my wife is pregnant. I've got two kids yeah. and my wife is pregnant and we're having another kid. And I'm going to go, what would be, what would be the most kind of, with understanding the current paradigm of we, everyone needs to work because we live in capitalism and it's very difficult. How would you, mm-hmm. what would be a good way, which is realistic, realistic expectations of like, of, of applying the gentle parenting methods? It's everything. It's really nothing more complex than I've just said. I think people think it's a series of, if my child does this, I should say or do this, like you'd see on TikTok. That's not gentle parenting. That's people who maybe think they're doing it, but have reduced an ethos or a way of being to a sentence. So it doesn't matter 
if you bed share or your child sleeps in a crib, it doesn't matter if you breastfeed or bottle feed. Like these things are all largely irrelevant. It just comes down to trying your best and being good enough, listening to your instincts and above anything else, having empathy for your child. So like when a new baby comes along, what you'll often find is the toddlers or preschoolers, the older siblings will be a bit difficult. So they'll start waking up again at night or they'll start having normal tantrums or they'll have regressions in potty training or something like that. And it comes back to three words, really. If you just took nothing apart from looking after yourself in three words, which is why, how, and what. So whatever issue you are facing, whatever parenting dilemma, you ask yourself, why are they doing this? So you look for the triggers. Here, a toddler who's become a new sibling will be doing it because they're feeling grief. Lots of people say they're jealous, that's wrong. They're grieving the old relationship in life they had. They're feeling really, really dysregulated. So why are they doing it? Sometimes the why is just because they're a child and that's all their brain can do. But actually that just means it's our issue as an adult. How are they feeling? So if we come at it, we call, we call it mind-mindedness or mind-minded parenting. So if as a parent we approach an issue and try to see it from our child's point of view, then it's much easier to connect with them and solve the issue. So how are they feeling? Most of the time when kids are acting in ways we don't like, they're feeling worse than us. And that stops us putting it as like us and them or like an, an enemy and somebody's got to win the fight. So why and how and then what? What do I have to achieve from my action here? which stops you doing things just because it was done to you as a child. And I think any any parenting situation you could throw at me, we go, why, how, what? The other thing I'd say is I call it like a three-pronged approach to gentle parenting and dealing with issues. In the middle, it's us. And if we think of it like a tree with two branches, we're in the middle, we're the trunk, we're the roots, we're the foundation. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter what we do and what we say, unless we are embodying what we want to see ourselves. And then on one hand, we've got short-term behavior or discipline or whatever. So it's a, how do I keep everybody safe and cope in the short term? Like, what do I need to do today or right now to make things a bit better? And then on the other hand, you have the long-term. And this is where so many parents fall down. Like I'll have parents say to me, my kids keep fighting. And I keep saying, use gentle hands, don't hit. And they still keep fighting. But what they haven't done is considered in the long term, which again comes into why, how, what, why are they doing this? What do I need to do to teach them how to do something better in the long term? And the frustrating thing is you are going to have to do things hundreds of times. So if you've got a child who hits, you have to short term, keep them safe, move them away, hold their hand down. The middle one, embody being calm. And then in the long term, we have to think, okay, what's going on here? What are their triggers? Why are they doing this? How can I teach them to do something better? But we have to understand in the long term, that's going to take a long time to achieve. And maybe the most frustrating thing about gentle parenting is it's not quick fix. You can't quickly fix things. It's a, what am I doing now to sow the seeds for tomorrow? So your traditional parenting that we spoke about at the beginning, that those like TV nanny programs, they will turn behavior around in a day, in two or three days. But what you don't see is what happens two, three weeks after they've gone. And that behavior is going to be right back where it was because they've not dealt with the underlying issues or the long term. So 
in the long term, what we're doing is not raising quiet, compliant children for today. We're raising happy, confident children who have good self-esteem and a good relationship with us as young adults and adults. And that's the hardest thing of all is that we put so much work in today and we're not going to see the results of it for 10 or 20 years. So it comes back, everything comes back to us, so understanding that and being patient. Such a beautiful of philosophy. Course, again, no magic. No, but it's 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 so on the money. And even one thing you said there totally reminded me of a a, a challenge I had uh, with my son there. He came in grumpy there the other day and I was like, I was like, why are you being such a grumpy kid? Just be like, what's, what's, and it, it was like that. It was like, and I was almost like, listen, you're not sitting down here until you're not a grumpy little kid, as opposed to going, what's wrong? Like here, you, you know, it's like, yeah, at least something that I, I, I have to learn to deal with is how to deal with bigger emotions and how to deal with uh-huh. the full bandwidth emotions as opposed to, no, only joy is welcome and happiness exactly, and maybe no. tiredness, but the rest of them, you can keep them. They're not welcome here. So it's like, how, you know, children that grew up in that somewhat the end of the Victorian era, how they yeah. can learn to accept all their children's emotions as parents. As yeah. parents. yeah. Um, and you end of Victorian era. No, it's really not. I would say everybody who currently has children, mm. you know, we were all raised in that way. There is such an issue with adult mental health and talking about it because as children, we were told to not talk about it. When we feel difficult feelings, we had to keep them to ourselves. We had to be happy and joyful and well-behaved and compliant as children. And now all of a sudden as adults, it's like, open up, ask for help. Talk to have people about how you're feeling. But that's so alien to us because we weren't allowed to do it. Because we, we didn't matter. Our feelings didn't matter. What mattered was our parents' feelings. And it's if we want to improve how adults feel and how future generations feel, we have to unravel that back to childhood and say, as a parent, it's really inconvenient and irritating for me when my child is grumpy, frustrated, angry, and so forth. But those are the times that it is most important that I contain their feelings and listen to them. But I talk about the idea is containment in psychology. And the, the most bizarre way I can explain it is to talk about a container holding like a family box of cornflakes or something. So bear with me, this will make sense in a minute. I like it. I like cornflakes. Yeah, perfect. I'm okay. with you. So you've got like a little tiny bowl or container and you're trying to pour a whole box of cornflakes into it. And um, very quickly it will fill up and cornflakes would explode and go everywhere and there'll be a big mess and everything will be out of control. That is effectively a toddler, preschooler, 10-year-old, 16-year-old's capability of holding big emotions. They don't neurologically, their brain isn't developed enough to do that and to diffuse them. So they need our help. So we come along as an adult with our big cornflake bowl. And we're like, it's okay, I'm an adult. I've got more space. I can hold all cornflakes because I'm big and mature. My impulse control, my self-regulation, and my neocortex, all of this works in our brain is, is big and mature. And that, that's like when you would sit when your son is being difficult and say, shh, and breathe, I'm the adult, it's okay, I'm here for you, I'm calm. Very often you'll say nothing, it's just the act of being there and not having a go at him. But the trouble is with daily life, we come to the situation with so many cornflakes already. <laughs> you know, how am I going to pay my gas and my electric bill? Um, you know, how am I going to pay my rent or my mortgage? Or like my mom is sick or I've had an argument with my partner and I'm really stressed about something at work and all the stuff that we carry that's so heavy as adults. And we often say things like, I've had it up to here. I'm full up. I can't take any more. 
Like we often talk about containers without realizing it. So the problem is we've got our dysregulated fill up child. And as an adult, if we come along and we're dysregulated and fill up, what's going to happen is we can't take any more cornflakes on board. And if we try, we're going to go, and we're going to have a big explosion of cornflakes too. Volcanic. Yeah, everywhere. So um, there's something called emotional displacement with adults. Like we, maybe your child didn't put their leg away and you trod on it and you respond like it's the end of the world, you explode. And the emotional displacement is you're responding to something that was already quite small, but everything that's inside you is exploding out. And then what happens then is we're out of control, they're out of control, nobody's needs are met. Um, and then the child very quickly learns, okay, when I feel like this mum or dad can't cope and it makes things worse, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep these feelings inside and I'm not going to show them. I'm going to be the good girl or the good boy. But those feelings don't go away. They kind of sit there and they grow. And in the teens, they might come out as violence. Um, they might come out as like lots of fighting, lots of shouting, or they may be internalized. And you may see eating disorders, alcohol abuse, um, like addiction to sort of casual sex or something, or you could see self-esteem, depression, anxiety issues. And I'm not saying all of those issues are caused to caused by early childhood but if we're if we learn somehow incorrectly as children that we are responsible for our for our carers behavior we grow up people pleasing and keeping our feelings buried and not having proper boundaries and living inauthentically but it all comes back to childhood and it comes back to us as adults thinking okay my container is really full at the moment i gotta offload or I've got to say, no, I'm sorry, I can't help the school disco this week because I've just, I've, had, I've got so much work. Or, and you know, this is a really great request for my work and it might help my career, but I just can't take anything on board anymore. And we've got to learn to be better at saying no, asking for help and finding ways to offload. So we've got space for our children in the hopes that we can contain their emotions so that they can come to us in the future and that we hopefully avoid that internalizing and externalizing of buried behavior. That's a bit deep, isn't it? No, that's it's amazing. So I love the analogy. Like, I love the analogy. It's so like, and I think as you said about kind of degassing or kind of like emptying, it's almost like a balloon that fills up and you've got to go do a bit of yoga, go for a run. I need to go to sleep. Whatever it is. Whatever you know, it is. whatever you like. Yeah, watch binge, watch something on Netflix so that your your brain gets decompressed a little bit or whatever it might be. Or you know? you've eaten some of the cornflakes so there's more room to accept your kids' <laughs> cornflakes. So this is the problem with self-care. If we say, go do some yoga or go to a spa day or do some mindfulness, no. and it doesn't work, and then what these parents say is, there's something wrong with me because I tried the mindfulness and even that didn't work. I'm beyond repair. A quick break just to help us pay our bills. As busy parents, you really want to feed your kids quick when they're hungry. Instant air fryers are amazing. It literally reprices the oven in my house. I don't use the oven because it takes so long to reheat. I've got an instant Vortex VersaZone air fryer. It's big enough to feed the family. Last night I cooked a lasagna for six people. We had my wife's parents over and it was just 
beautiful. In my house, we use the Vortex Slim. It takes less counter space, so 80% less energy, 95% less oil than a deep fat fryer. They're highly efficient, and ultimately what they do is they make the healthy choice the easy choice. And a lot of people think air fryers are just for making chips. Like in the instant air fryers, we cook lasagnas, we cook granolas, breads, focaccias. Crispy tofu. Yeah, it really does so much. So well worth checking out. They have a full range of different models. There's a link in our show notes to find out which instant air fryer best suits you. So I think we have to help parents to realise, I genuinely believe now is the hardest time ever to be a parent for so many reasons. Like, aside from global pandemics and the unsupported society we live in and everything else that's happening, it's really hard. And I think we need to say that more. Yeah. And just be more honest. Just, just, just to recap that topic of containment, because I think it's a paradigm shift, and I think there's so even if anyone listening, even myself, got well, then that, you tried to describe it there. You tried to the, go the on. concept of um, <laughs> containment is that if your child Corn comes containment. No, I'm not. I'm just going to try to give a practical example. If your child comes to you with a big emotion and you're feeling full up, they're going to offer to share that emotion with you, and because you're full up, you cannot hold their emotions. So you'll typically, or in the case of me, I might go listen shut up giving out, stop being a grump, sit and eat your dinner and let's have a nice chat. Boom. Yeah. Or you might say, I can't deal with you now, go to your room. Oh, exactly. I know the feeling. I know. And oh, and it's awful. <laughs> and you know you've dealt with it in a really appalling way. And you know in about 10 minutes later you're going to go in and say, listen, I'm really sorry. I just, I'm feeling overwhelmed and I should have dealt with it better and I set a poor example. But in essence, the concept of containment is that you as a parent probably try to do less. You probably Anyone? actually have some to do your best to be present with your child and to actually, when they come with the big emotion, that you can actually accept it and hear it and not even try to fix it, just accept it. Just witness I it. I mean, most of you say there's no magic wand. You can't fix most of these issues. It's more about how we deal with them. Mm. And when we don't deal with them well, knowing, you know, that's okay too because I can go back and I can apologise and I can take back the harsh punishment that I gave that wasn't fitting for the child's behavior. So there's there's never a point where it's like, you've messed up and that's it, you can't undo it. You can always apologize, rupture, repair, and make it right, which I find really exciting. And the beautiful thing is like where you said that your son will come to you even as an early 20 year old with problems, yeah. whereas if you don't give space for that, you're training them to go elsewhere, which, to, which, to put it inside themselves, which can lead to lots of other challenges. Which comes exactly. to the opportunity, I guess parenting comes with such an opportunity to become aware of yourself and your own shortcomings and it holds the mirror up at you at so many times because obviously we all want to be Yoda, you know, like gender specific yeah. to what, I don't know what Yoda is, a man or a woman. Um, but like, the thing. I think, think it's he's a non-binary. He's, he's non-binary. Non he's non-binary. Look, there we are. They are non-binary. So, so well, whatever way, someone that's more like you can deal with all these things and you're calm and zen. And I guess it comes back to, and I, I guess I wondered there, so as, as so, so say there's a couple, they're about to have a kid and obviously the primary relationship is the parents' relationship at the start or they've been dating and they're, they're married and they're, you know, theirs is the relationship. And then they have a kid and there's so much more to deal with and their relationship is take mm -hmm. second fiddle. What is your experience as a as someone that's been in this space for so long and what words of advice could you give to couples out there, you know, in terms of Man, expectations? pregnant like you, Dave, is that it? And you and your <laughs> wife? Maybe, but I, Maybe, I think it's a no. relevant question too. I know it is, yeah, absolutely. I would love people to talk about parenting before they have a baby or during pregnancy. I think 
I, for many, many, many years, I was an antenatal teacher and a doula. So I saw parents and prepared them to give birth. And it was so hard to get them to think about anything beyond about the first 24 hours having, having a baby because their head is in such a space of decorate the nursery, buy the pram, write the birth plan, practice the breeding techniques or whatever. It's really rare that people say, okay, so if our six-month-old is not sleeping, what are we going to do about it? Or when our child, our toddler has a tantrum, how are we going to deal with that? We just, we don't talk about it. We don't, we make these birth plans and we put all this investment into birth, which I'm not saying isn't important, it is, but surely what happens after is more important. And I would love if parents would make like a parenting plan or just talk about, okay, this is how I was raised. I liked this and I didn't like this and try to have a little bit of an agreement. Because I think more than anything, as you said, when you're thrown into it and you're thinking on the fly, it shows up any tiny flaw in your relationship. And then you've got with parenting and relationship issues all tied together with trying to work out how to deal with this new creature. That So practical. Because well, I know my, myself, my a- wife didn't have that conversation. And I realized, you know, once we started with our young child, um, and we both had quite different approaches. It was quite like, ooh. I, I think- yeah, why would you not? Like you talk about when you're dating, do you want children? Yes or no? End of conversation. Not how would you like to raise them? Yeah. But this just never enter into a conversation. And I think even that acknowledgement of kind of going, parenting shows up every flaw in your relationship. Like I think the acknowledgement and uh, you like your, your first point was lower your expectations. Because, you know, people from looking at TV shows and whatever, and maybe there is lots of realistic ones, but, you know, you might be... So the idea that kids do what you tell them and that they're just lovely and happy. Or, and that it's, or, yeah. or, or I think, when I think of myself, before I had kids, people kind of said, oh, it's really, really hard. And you oh, yeah, it's really hard. Oh, I've run marathons. You know, I'm different. I'm different to everyone else. And, and then, then you have a kid and you go, oh no, my God. might be like that. They'll be fine. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's your idea. And then when the kid comes, you're like, oh my God, that my whole world has changed fundamentally forever. Why didn't anyone tell me? And it's like, everyone tried to tell you, you just didn't really hear yeah. it. Well, you weren't in the headspace to hear because you're so fixated on the birth and the newborn that you don't have space. Your cornflake bowl hasn't got space to hold anything. <laughs> Which is true. Mm. You know, it's such a huge transition. But I think if we could talk about it more, but for me, I think the, the biggest thing we need to talk about society more is what normal childhood behavior looks like. The fact that babies and actually even toddlers don't really sleep. Well, certainly don't sleep like ours. Um, toddlers don't like eating anything other than beige and yellow food. Tantrums are really normal throughout the whole of childhood, not just toddlerhood, but also teenagers. Um, teenagers aren't kind of sudden and, and selfish and rude. You know, that there's a very important reason why they are like that. Their brain goes through a really dramatic shift in adolescence that means they have a natural dropping empathy, which is really important for them to discover who they are. And, but we then punish them for this normal behavior. Things like even like teenagers, I'm sure you guys may have a circadian shift. So the yeah. circadian rhythm shifts later. And what they really need to not do is get up at 7, 7.30 every day to go to school because it's just working against their biology. And if we met children's needs, we'd say, okay, let's start high school, senior school, half an hour, an hour later than school for younger children. But we'd just be able to meet their needs a little bit more if we spoke about what they're capable of doing every day. And it would just 
it would help us so much because we wouldn't be constantly thinking, how do I deal with this? What do I do? How do I discipline this? Or is there something wrong with my child? Is it that I'm not very good at parenting? Am I not a good enough gentle parent or whatever style you're doing? It all comes back to it, almost everything we think we know about baby, infant, teenager behavior is wrong. So it's almost like accepting the child where they're at as opposed to the idea of what we think they should Very be much. at. And that's, that's, that's one of the fundamental laws of parenting, uh, the ideal of parenting, but it's so hard because ultimately it's like a spiritual practice of being present yeah. and accepting what is around you in this very moment. So it's but the well, ultimate spiritual. Our parents didn't accept us. So no. we've been raised to behave in ways that aren't normal for children because in turn their parents raised them that way. So it's, it's a massive generational shift for us to be the cycle breakers to say, okay, science has advanced to such a level that we know now what we didn't know 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. You know, it's up to us to take this knowledge and make the change, yeah, I, I, which is can really I say, hard. Can I say one nice, I, I remember doing yoga and I remember we were, we were doing, we did Ashtanga yoga and coming from competitive sports, we were competitive yogis. And I remember we were doing Ashtanga primary series and there was a fella behind who was doing like six series. And I was like, oh my God, I want to be like him when I'm older. And then I got talking to the teacher and I said, oh yeah, I've got a couple of young kids. And he said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Children, family life, seven series. That's the hardest of all. And I was like, oh, cool. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. So ultimately parenting is the ultimate spiritual practice. I'm beginning to learn. And, and, and I loved exactly what you said there of cycle breakers. We get the opportunity to be cycle breakers because, mm -hmm. you know, otherwise we're passing down the same parenting which we were given and the same methodology. And it takes so much awareness and so much compassion and kindness and gentleness. And it probably starts with ourselves. And it comes back to exactly what you said. Self-kindness, self-kindness, self-kindness and lower your expectations. Lower your expectations and start saying no. No, 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 start, down there. I'm and sure. start saying no to more things so that your cornflake container can hold more space and you can be a better witness to your parents, to your children. And you've experienced this first time you won UK's busiest <laughs> mother. Yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah, brother. Oh, I mean, it's just like, I have a chapter, a book called How to Be a Calm Parent, and it's in the chapter where I talk about the glorification of being busy. That, and I think even more for mums, because there's still sexism involved in parenting, particularly if you take a little time out of work, you feel the need to be some sort of super mum. Like you go on Instagram and you follow these mummy influencers and their amazing kind of um, sensory play ideas and look at their beautiful ho homes and you feel the need that, You've got to be everything and do everything. And for me, I, I had like, I was juggling so much and I felt that I needed to somehow, I don't know who I thought I was proving things to, but I had to prove my worth somehow. So it was taking on more. And to be honest, that's probably not doing anything justice, but the thing that I missed the most was my own needs. And I really just suppressed my own needs and became very angry as a result of it. Um, and then one list entered this competition because there was a holiday as a prize that I wanted to win. And I was like, yeah, I'm quite busy. Maybe I'll enter it. Um, and I won it. And I got this makeover and this wonderful write-up in a national magazine that was, and Sarah does this, Sarah does this. I was on like so many different committees and doing so many things. And it was a real celebration of how many balls I was juggling in the air. And and I looked like beautiful because they did a makeover. Whereas normally I just like barely wash my face um and retrospectively now this was like 10 11 years ago i just think what a horrendous message i put out into the world with that 
by saying, you know, be busier, but do your makeup and your hair and look great and be calm and get everything sorted. And it's it's such a toxic message. You know, we can't do everything. We can't have it all. We can't be everything. We have to think, I can juggle three balls, so that's all I can have. I've got to put the other three down. Otherwise, I'm going to just, there's going to be a mess everywhere. And for me, it was, you know, my own kind of health and mental health particularly suffered. And obviously, if we don't prioritize ourselves, then our kids get the worst of us. Mm. So, yeah. We we value busyness and contribution to society too much. It comes back to bringing the child up is surely the best contribution to society, but we undervalue care, whether we're caring for children, whether we're caring for the elderly, um, or caring for anybody else. Care is just anybody who works in the care sector gets minimum wage, or we've got mums caring at home who are seen as economically inactive. It's all like a big circle to what we started talking about. So I felt the need to prove that I could give back more. Wow. Because it's like, I think it brings up a huge topic is the topic of dealing with guilt. And that I think you've really summed it up very well. It's the the respect of enoughness because we're not fed this idea of it's enough. That's fine. And the importance of saying no. And I think there, there are three things that are, every parent has to grapple with because you're yeah. sold the idea of you can be it all, you can have it all and you are you possible. You want to be the top stage at yoga, but actually it's enough to be level seven. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what about the, the guilt, the guilt of working parents? And in particular, I'd imagine it's more yeah. prevalent with mothers in the early stages. I mean, there's always guilt. If you, if you work, you feel guilty because you're working and you're not with your child enough. And if you don't work, you feel guilty because you're not giving back to society. And what sort of a message are you giving to your child that they can just stay at home and not work? So I very quickly realized that whatever you do, you will feel guilty about it. And also understanding that all parents feel guilty about their decisions. It doesn't matter what they are. There is no point where we think, I feel completely at peace with this. And I think understanding that, I think almost I feel at peace with this enough rather than thinking, I don't feel any guilt at all, I feel really, really happy is the answer because anything you do, you feel guilty about. It's, yeah. I don't think, you can't win, particularly as a mother, particularly if you look at the media and the way they represent mothers, if you imagine reading like a, a, a big paper, particularly I'm sure people know the one I'm talking about that's online, if there's a mum who stopped working to raise her children, they will comment that she's lazy or she's given up her career for her children or blah, blah, blah. But if she goes back to work when her child is at six months old, it'd be, how could she do that? How could she put her child into childcare and go back to work so soon? You can't win. No, you're so right. I think either way, just realizing that there's no perfect solution, just whatever is better for you. And for me, I've always worked in summer since I've had children. I am a better mother for having time by myself and working than I would have been if I'd stayed at home all the time. So my children benefit from me working. But similarly, if somebody's in a sort of fortunate financial position to not work and they are the type of person that is wanting to take time out, then that's the right choice for them. Mm. And that's all we can do. It's the choice that's for us, which is not the same as for anybody else. I like that. It's kind of, if you can juggle six balls, three balls, just juggle three and be happy, accept that you're going to drop a few and that's okay. Like it's like that ultimate enoughness. I, I'd look- and stop comparing the box to other parents. 
that's the hard bit. I'd, I'd love to circle back to something which we touched on at the very start and it was kind of mental health issues which were, which as adults we're all dealing with, you know, as as mm-hmm. as kids that were parented at the end of the Victorian era. And I'm wondering the correlation now between, you know, child development and this this is obviously a topic we could talk about for 10 years and people will continue on for eternity to talk about but even the top level the correlation between child development and adult kind of um, mental health because my wife's a clinical psychologist and she'll always say typically uh, an adult's capacity for happiness is pretty much dictated by the first three years of their life and then and then in something I was listening to you earlier you were talking about um, busyness busyness being an expression as an adult of possibly not getting your feelings listened to as a kid or whatnot. these are things which you kind of don't necessarily make the correlation to unless you've kind of Red no, for me, sir, I think it was very much a self-esteem issue. And I grew up being a good girl and meeting everybody else's needs. And if I was busy and doing everything they asked of me, somehow I felt more accepted. And that carries on into people-pleasing behavior as adulthood. But what we have now that we didn't have 20, 30 years ago is the scientific evidence. So there's a study that I really like where they did... Um, MRI scans of infant brains and looked at part of the brain that is responsible for emotion regulation and found that that area of the brain was more developed, was larger in infants who had received more nurturance from their caregivers. So when they cried, they more likely to be picked up and held and more likely to be reassured. And rather than Going back to what we said at the beginning, these old childcare experts saying, don't mollycoddle them, don't create bad habits, they should learn to be resilient. What we know now is actually the more we meet their needs when they're younger, the more confident, happy, well-developed this area of the brain will be. So it's you can never love a child too much, you can never cuddle them too much. Um, and we know that even when we don't get it right, even we've got a baby who's crying and we can't stop them crying, knowing that we're holding them and releasing oxytocin and helping you know, their brainwaves to be calmer, we know that actually can have a really long-lasting impact. But I would say, although, yes, the first three years is the major part of brain development, there's the brain is very plastic, something called neuroplasticity, like it can change and rewire, even into adulthood. So I often get asked... I have a 10-year-old, is it too late for me to do this? And I'll say, well, no, not, not at all, because you know it's never too late to be kinder or more helpful. So we do know that the brain can carry on forming new synapses and pruning and stuff all the way to adulthood. So I wouldn't, if somebody's listening or watching with a seven-year-old or a 17-year-old, please don't think it's too late. I think sometimes when we put so much emphasis on the early years, we often think, okay, well, I didn't do that until they were three, so now it's too late. And it just isn't, ever. Very empowering message. That kind of leads on to, can is there a way, and this is probably a total other can of worms and a book which you might write long to the distance. What about reparenting no. ourselves? Because, you know, if we've all got these issues, which, uh, you know, we need to ultimately take responsibility for all of ourselves as adults. Yep. And there must be an aspect of reparenting the gaps, which... M- our parents obviously did their absolute best, but all of us will likely have gaps. And is that something or is that just not called reparenting? That's yeah, just no, I mean, becoming it's, a kinder person. It sounds a bit woo, doesn't it? Reparenting ourselves. Yeah, it's I know, bit, but I figured it was kind of like there must be people it. talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I, this book called How to Be a Calm Parent, there's like chapters on it. But for me, it was there are so many psychologists talking about doing the work and I was like but what do you mean what does doing the work look like and it starts with 
acknowledging what happened to us, acknowledging that some of the things that we were on the receiving end of from our parents or our carers was not great. And then acknowledging that actually I deserved better. I wasn't naughty. I was a child in need of somebody to help me to regulate. And that can, when you start kind of snipping these threads that can really impact everything you've ever thought about yourself. It was like, I wasn't overly sensitive. I wasn't rude. I just needed more than I got. And you can learn, actually, as an adult, I thought I was oversensitive or had anger issues or something. But what I realize now is that went back to when I was two or three or four or five and my needs weren't met, but I had needs. And now I can understand and honor them. And I can understand that what I need to do is to focus on myself and having better boundaries. Um, and it's not, there are some exercises I talk about where it's sort of like, um, write a letter to your younger self or close your eyes and imagine scenarios from your past. But really it comes down to recognizing that all of us are a bit screwed up. All of us had things in our past that weren't great and accepting who we are and, you know, you've done your best, accept who you are, accept what you bring to the situation and think, what, what do I need to do to change this to feel better about myself? So it's when it's do the work, actually, it's like 99% just the way that you reframe what you think about yourself. Mm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Just comes back to what I was saying about self-kindness. Just when you feel yourself slipping into old ways, think, Sarah, you don't have to do this. That's okay. Or actually, it's okay to go and yell or scream or cry when ordinarily you may feel like that was inappropriate to do so and you have to have a stiff upper lip or something. And also it's the ultimate way of like, if you, as you said, you know, you didn't say it in this sense, but like we are all evolved apes and we learned most at how our parents are than what they told us to do. Like we, we aped their behaviors and it's kind of gone. We would have, you know, um, subconsciously absorbed all our parents' beliefs about money or sexual relationships or society Uh at large and whatever. And I guess the, the aspect of as adults, we've got to re reevaluate these and question them and kind of go, well, where did I pick that up? Like, where do, how do I, how do I evolve from this and whatever? So. It's why I couldn't answer your question about how do I do gentle parenting? What three things? And I'm like, well, actually it all comes down to us because if we don't do that work, then we can't be empathic and regulated with our children. So it's not about phrases or if your child does this, you do that. Or in this situation, do that. It comes back to what I was saying. We are the trunk of that tree with the roots of the tree. It all starts and ends really with us. It's not, it's such a deep kind of profound changing the way of thinking rather than a superficial, here are some techniques that you can use in this scenario. Mm, yeah, if it's not about sense. techniques because techniques are the plasters. It's really about the core essence. Exactly. Of- each yes. of us and has. I think, you know, it just, when I watch TikTok and it's hashtag gentle parenting, which has got something like 60 billion views now, I'm like, okay, this is really superficial. It's not dealing with the whole paradigm shift involved. It's This isn't gentle parenting. It's frustrating for me to see somebody's been talking about it for nearly two decades that that's what it's been reduced to because it's not that at all. It's so much bigger and deeper. Well, it really is. It's, it's a spiritual practice. It, not to put it to put a different lens on it, but it's 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 the work. It's, it's not the, tools and techniques. It's the mirror with which you can see yourself, and you can use it as a means to evolve and to create a better world. 
Yeah, it's all. Yeah. Um, so, Sarah, you're incredible. I've enjoyed this conversation immensely. And you're re, you see, you've written 12 books and you're republishing in April, isn't it? Your new book. Well, republishing Gentle Parenting. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I thought it can show you a quick picture. Yeah, yeah this it looks one. Oh, beautiful. So, it really good was yellow and orange. And this is um, edition two, which is coming out, I think, 6th of April. Um, just because I wrote it seven or eight years ago and I've learned so much since then and the way society has embraced it has changed so much. So kind of talks about everything we've discussed up to age seven. After age seven, I have a different book called Between, um, which is exactly the same thing, but just for older children. Amazing. And you're prevalent on Instagram. You're prevalent on all the social media platforms. Um, not all for direct messages, media. but for good quality content. Your blog, your blog is also, your blog has a lot in it as well. It's a great kind of get, segue into your work as well. So, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying very much to do less, but to do less better and not have all those balls. So, great job. Less blogs now because they take a long time. But well, great books, job. Less blogs. Well, your old blogs Thanks. are nice. They're good too. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> your work is fabulous, and you have two fans here. Yeah. Well, thank you. Really, I know it's like something completely different, but it does seem to really fit with what you guys talk about oh, really? as well. Everything's being very connected, isn't it? I feel yeah. it's at the root of so much. The yeah. root of who we all are. And I think it's the root to a better world. Well, each of us to become our own Yodas, you know, so then we can pass exactly. that stuff. We can end the cycles. A mighty flawed Yoda, because Yoda is too perfect. Yeah, 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 I like that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, lower your expectations. There we go. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thanks, Emil, Sarah. You're great. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. One last thing, Sarah, can you say just, just and it's a tiny little thing, it's just for social media because often I'll cut things up. Are there any like three tips, five tips that you'd give for someone that I can kind of cut into a little short reel that'll, that's very practical? Because if I can cut something up that's a soundbite, even just have you got a different scenario or like five tips to be a and better, obviously better he's parent. asking you to say the TikTok thing which you said you hate them and they're not actual no no real. But, but it's not that no it's yeah. not the TikTok thing but it's even like it's like what you had said those but it's to get people to listen to the podcast that's ultimately how yeah. it works okay how long have I got a minute yeah. Two minutes? Yeah, yeah. yeah something concise I, I'll probably just reframe them and just narrow them and say them in my voice but it's to get people to do it okay. and to listen to intrigue so they're like fuck that's so on the money excuse my language Okay, so there's one. Don't worry, really quickly. I, I have an acronym called SENSE. Yeah, yeah. great. So yeah. S stands for safety. E is empathy. N is name. S is support. E is explain. And it applies to almost every difficult situation. So safety first. Don't worry about being gentle or anything else if safety is at risk. Then the E, empathy, which is basically take a breath, remind yourself they're not doing this deliberately to give me a problem. They're having a problem. How can we work on this together? Take a breather. When everybody's a bit more calm, you name their emotions to help them to understand, like, you, I understand you were feeling angry. In time, hopefully they'll come to you and say, I'm feeling angry, can I have some help? And then you support them with those feelings, which doesn't mean hugging them. It means doing whatever the child wants. So sometimes it means hugging. Sometimes it means sitting 10 feet away from them. Sometimes it means playing video games together, you know, whatever they want. And the last one is the E, explain, which is when everybody is regulated, it's time for teaching. It's time to explain. We couldn't do this because, and this other person felt like this, but this is what we could do next time. And it, it works for almost any situation. Oh, that's brilliant. That that's yeah. on the money, on the money. So good. So, 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 good so, so good. Yeah, really brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Lovely. 
Well, thanks, Mel Sarah. You're fabulous. That's all right. Yeah. When are you putting this out? You know, it'll probably be Sarah sometime per- in the next month. Yeah, I'd say sometime in the next month. Yeah. So ideally be before April. April. Let me know. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. We'll of course we will. Yeah, yeah, promise. Yeah. Promise, promise, promise. Absolutely, yeah. Right. But amazing. Stupid view up my nostrils. No, <laughs> no you know, it ended up great. It's it was perfect. fabulous. Yeah, yeah, fabulous. Really, yeah, your hair well, showed off your hair. Your hair looks great. I love the curls. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Am I talking to you? Lovely you too. Thanks again, Sarah. Thanks again. Cheerio. Bye, 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 bye. I love that. So practical, so applicable to everyone even non-parents even that concept that you said at the air the end of kind of reparenting ourselves and i know it sounded real woo woo and like we should all light incense and um, but 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 i loved that she didn't get into the tools and tricks because there's a million ways you could do it and ultimately they learn from us as individuals themselves so the more we can be accepting of ourselves and respectful of ourselves ultimately that will ha- pass on to our children. And I think the big one I take home is the El Cornflake Bowl analogy of containment. I think that's just fabulous. I'm, you know, when when you're trying to parent when you are already full, you're you, you're trying you're to do too much. Your best. Yeah. Saying no, saying, saying no, saying no. Yeah. 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 So, so instead of coming home, instead of coming home at six o'clock after burning the wick, maybe come home at five o'clock and sit in your car and read a book for an hour. So you actually have some time for yourself and if empty you your box and then go into the house. If you can. Anyway, yeah, yeah. we really hope you enjoyed this. I found this immensely valuable. I found it so relevant to me and I'm sure to, I hope you found it exactly. Yeah. So please do check out Sarah's work if you want to learn more. Um, she's got lots of books on it and our new book um, Gentle Parenting is back out being re-released April the 4th so yeah thanks Emil and thanks for listening to the podcast we are most grateful and, and uh, uh, wishing you a wonderful moment and if you enjoyed this we did another parenting podcast with Philippa Perry so you might enjoy listening yeah, to that yeah it was one. a great one yeah really, so really on this good. topic so yeah, yeah so thanks Emil cheers, cheers bye 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 wishing you a good day